let me just kind of set the table um, for you know where we've been. If you recall, Jesus had done a number of things with the disciples in the around the Last Supper. Part of what had happened there is he identified a betrayer. There was this whole interaction that took place with Judas, finally culminating in, in Judas, what are you going to do? Judas takes the bread and it says that he flees into the night. And that is both a, a figure, a, a literal statement and a figurative statement. Judas moving on his own, alone in the darkness, to complete the thing that had been done. And I personally believe that all through the night, Jesus was reaching to his lost disciple. And it wasn't until the final moment of choice was made that Judas went his own way, that it was beyond the point of return. And even some have speculated he still could have returned. But that's a whole other story. Part of what happens after that is Jesus then, almost like the air had been cleared of all the hypocrisy or the stuff that was there, he turns to his disciples. And uh, it's, a, it's a very touching and tender moment that is described in the 13th chapter of John because, you know, he starts to talk to them about how this is going to be the hour. Now he says, now is the hour of my glory. He turns to them and he says, after Judas leaves, he says, now is the hour of my glory. This is the hour that I have come for. This is the time in which everything that I was born to do is about to be fulfilled. What's interesting is he doesn't say this is the hour of my cross. He doesn't say this is the hour of my suffering. He doesn't say this is the hour of my death. He says this is the hour of my glory. And it's a curious phrase, and it was a, choice, a chosen word that he, he made intentionally because what he saw was not simply the end in a cross. He saw all that was going to come from that cross. And in a, in a way, it was the moment in which God's ultimate victory would be worked. It was the moment of his glory. And he turned to them and he says, listen to me, this is the hour that everything has, has been coming to and is now about to happen. This is the time. And he says, listen to me, he says, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. And where I'm going, you cannot go. I'm not going to be with you in the way that I was. And where I'm going, I've got to walk this next, you've walked, my brothers, you've walked with me for a few years now. And you've made this journey with me. And I've planted things in you. And I've invested my heart into you. And I've taught you things. And you've walked with me. And you've seen things. And we've smelt things and talked over meals together and interacted. And you've seen things that have never been seen before. And you've been very faithful. But now I need to make a walk. And only I can make it. The pathway is narrowing. There's only room for one. And I need to do it. And so you can't come with me. In fact, what's going to happen is that from now on, everything that we've had is going to change. It's going to be different. And I just need to say that to you. And that's when he says, so where I'm going, you cannot come. And then he says, and in light of that, and this is where we left off, in light of that, I'm giving you a new command. A new command I give to you. And look at one another, because he says, because I want you to do this. I want you to love one another as I've loved you. Faithful, sacrificially, unto the end. He said, by this shall all people know, all men know, that you are my disciples, my true followers. They will know this because of the love that you show for one another. Idea being, the love that you work together to get past things, not allowing the petty divisions to occur that separate you. Remember, they had walked into that room very fractured and very divided, and it was all about who was going to sit where and who wasn't going to serve, and he had washed their feet. And he said to them, now I give you this command to love one another, to give your life away. Oh, you sang about it. What's interesting, and this brings us to the verse that we're going to look at together here in John 13, because 
at the end of the chapter, we're told that something else happens. Now, Peter heard Jesus say all these things. He heard Jesus say, this is the hour of my glory. He heard Jesus say, now, I'm uh, only a little while. I'm going to be with you for just a little while longer, and then I'm going to be going. And where I'm going, you can't come. And so Peter's here. And then he heard him say, so love one another in light of that, and love one another as I have loved you. And he, but it seems like what, and we can see it here, what he fixates on, he latches onto, there's something that Jesus says that bothers him. He's curious. He wants to know. And it's not about who's betraying Jesus. It's about that phrase that Jesus said. What do you mean? Just a little while and you're going to be gone. Where, where are you going? And what is this idea of where I'm going, you cannot come? And then Peter, you can see it, verse 36, Peter says to him, Lord, Lord. And I'm glad he, he you know, asking a question sometimes is a risk. But we benefit from it. And he says, Lord, I have a question. Wait, I want to go back to something you said earlier. Um, where, you said, you said where you're going, we can't come. Where are you going? It's a very honest question. And I love the way Jesus answers it. Because I read this, and the, and the emphasis for me is where. Where are you going? That means, I, I would like to know where you're going because you're saying that where you're going, we can't come. So where is that? He says, where are you going? And Jesus answers him. I love it. Because when Jesus answers questions, a lot of times he doesn't answer the question that is being asked. He answers a different question. And he says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. Yeah, I, I know you said that earlier, but where are <laughs> you going? Where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but afterwards you will. And it's almost like Peter goes, okay, well, then I'll go with you on that. Why can't I follow you now? Why can't we follow you now? If you're not going to tell us exactly where you're going, except that we can't follow, why can't we follow you? And then Peter's sensing that Jesus is implying that the place that he's going is a very precarious and dangerous place. It's going to be very costly. And it's going to be something that would be dangerous and risking perhaps of his own life. Peter senses it in the way that Jesus is saying. And he has an idea that Jesus is getting at something. And so notice what he says. Lord, why can't I go? Why can't I go with you now? He says, you know it. And it's like this. He says, Lord, you know I am willing to lay down my life for you. And he meant those words. And there's no way in heaven or in earth that he was prepared for the next thing Jesus was going to say to him. He couldn't have anticipated it. He didn't think it was possible. Jesus said to him, will you lay down your life for me, my friend, my bold friend? He says, listen to me. And you can see it. Before this night, Listen, before this night is out, before the new day comes, before the rooster crows announcing the new day, I tell you, you will not simply deny me once. No casual mistaken statement on your part. No, not deny me twice, my friend. You will deny me. You say you will die for me. I tell you this, you will deny me three times before this, this day, new day comes. I tell you this, as true as I'm standing here, you will deny me. You will completely disassociate. Right? The idea here is you will disassociate yourself from me. You will disavow me. You will completely push yourself away from being counted as one of mine. You will back away from me. I tell you this, my friend, you do not know yourself. It's like Jesus is saying, Peter, you don't understand where we're walking. 
You don't understand it. You think it's flesh and blood. You think it's just about people. You know, where we're walking, it's like a spiritual tsunami. It's the, the forces of hell that are coming against us will overwhelm you. You do not understand the weakness within you. You do not know yourself. You will not be able to match up to this. And the, the part you know, Peter, because you, and everybody must have been just going, oh my goodness. And Peter himself, the problem was when Jesus said things, they were used true. But I don't believe he's right this time. And I should say they were true always. But Peter's mind is saying, Lord, you might be true about all those other things, but you're not true about this. You don't know me. I'll die for you. And you know what? He almost did earlier in the evening. That night when they came for Jesus, he almost did. But later on. Now, the, 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 look at this. In, I put this in your, hand, in your hand out as well. We know John's account, if you look at the other Gospels, you see there were other things happening. And Luke gives us a couple of more things that were said. We think they were said right around this moment. It looks like it was when you look at Luke 22. It looks like that after Jesus says, you will deny me, he, said, he added this. But it's recorded in Luke's chapter 22. And he says this, and the Lord, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. It's very graphic. He wants to sift you. Look at the picture. He says, look, he wants to sift you as wheat, literally to separate you from the inside out, like wheat being separated from the chaff. He wants to, he wants to destroy you and tear you apart. He says, this is his desire over your life. But I, notice what he says, but I have prayed for you. Listen to me. I have prayed for you. It's powerful. It's also suggestive for us. Why? Think about it for a moment. What is it saying? There are some things that the Lord wants us to pray for for other people that will make a huge difference. Some of us, and I throw myself into this at times, are too casual about, well, if the Lord, whatever the Lord wills, it will be done. I trust him. But clearly there are things sometimes that God wants us actually to pray for specifically. It's like this. Ask it shall, he said, it shall be given to you. You know, seek, you will find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. Are there not people at times when, is it, could it be, listen, could it be that when the Lord puts someone in our heart and you hear that, that name come to our mind, that it was put there for a reason and we are supposed to pray for that person? And could it be, how, how could it be that some things will rise and fall on our willingness to cover someone in our prayer? And could it also be that someone else, that some of our victory or defeat at times will be affected by someone else's willingness to pray for us? If Jesus said, I have prayed for you, listen to me. My friend, he's saying this. You do not understand what you're up against. This thing is going to wrap you up. It is going to take you and devise you from the inside out. Words are going to come to you. You're going to want to do, by the way, what Judas did do. You're going to want to take your own life. Because you've got to remember, at his core, what, what was the virtue do you think that matters most to Peter? The one virtue that, sets, that you can see throughout the Gospels that constantly is coming out of him. He, 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 he prizes it above everything else. It's this idea of loyalty. And the idea that he of being loyal through the thick and thin, I'm with you all the way. And this is the very thing that he is going to yield on. 
It's like the core value in his heart being ripped to shreds and what he's left with after that. He's got nothing. And then Jesus is saying, he's going to want to take you from the inside out and destroy you. He says, but I have prayed for you. And then a word that would have also mattered. And he says, listen to me, listen to me. He says, and after you come back, I pray for you for what? I pray that you're, notice the phrase, what? That your faith would not fail, that it would be sustained through the rigor of what you're, that it would hold on, that it would survive, that it would last, that it would remain, that it would get through you, that your faith would hold. Maybe just a sliver, but it will be enough. If I pray that your faith would not fail, and at the end, that you will come home. I pray that your faith would not fail, that you would return back home. And when you do, and by the way, oh, what a word that was. And when, it, when you come home, and you will, and you will, don't ever forget what you're supposed to do. You strengthen your brothers. You be an example to them. You love them. Just that love I was talking about, you serve them. You give yourself that. You want to show me gratitude? Love your brothers. Strengthen their hand. Don't ever forget how much you needed the grace of God. That's what I hear there. Don't ever forget how much you need it. And then you give it away. You give it back. You strengthen the hand of your brother. You make others strong. And we need people like that in our lives who will strengthen us in our resolve to follow God. So that was the word. And again, you look at it and you go, wow. And then it's almost like, now go back to John 13 again real quick. And you see, look, everything's going on, right? It's almost like they're if, they were, if the rest of the disciples are listening to this, and Peter included, then this looks bad. This looks really bad. I mean, it, it, what are you talking about, Jesus, going away? What are you talking about, this is dying? What are you talking about, one of us is betraying you? What do you mean Peter's going to deny you? It, oh, this, what this whole, their, all their foundation is being wrong. They had other expectations. They were thinking ruling and uh, privilege and power and recognition, and, and that's how they came into this room. And now he's talking about a, stuff that, that, that doesn't make sense, and he's the one that's the most loyal of them all, the recognized leader is going to de denounce you, and one of us here is already betraying you, and you're going to go away, and we can't come with you. What are you talking about? And it's in their eyes, and that's what leads right into the next verse. And the next verse is John 14, 1. And it really, the chapter is just an artificial designation because it's actually a continuation of that same night. John 13 ends with his verse 38 and goes right into verse 1 of John 14. And what does he say? It's like he's looking at them, and we know from what he says, what they were feeling. Because what does he say? He says, look at me, basically. Look at me. I know it doesn't look good. You need to listen to me. Do not allow your hearts to be troubled and overcome by anxiety over what I'm saying or what's happening here. You listen. You believe in God. Listen. Believe in God. Believe in me. I go to prepare a place for you. My father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Listen to me, I'm not lying to you about it. There's something going on here that extends beyond this life and into the next. You've got to see God's up to something far bigger. And it's not going to make sense to you, and I don't expect it to, but you've got to hear me out. You believe. Do not allow your heart to be overcome with anxiety. You believe in God. Believe in me. Powerful. And as I looked at that, I said, well, what else? how does that apply to us? How do we, and all I could take it was how it applied to me. And I was thinking about it. Let me just throw this, submit this out 
throw it out. Don't throw it out, but I'll, I'll throw it out and then we can go from there. I believe that in this life, there will always be reasons to be troubled, to be troubled. We, uh, we I love life. It's a gift from God. I think we're enormously blessed to live in America, by the way. I say that because there, there are so many parts in the world that um, are, where suffering is far more pronounced. I mean, we've been blessed in so many, it's a young nation, ours. We've been enormously blessed until very recently, never had anything remotely resembling an attack on our own soil. Always had the benefit of being cushioned from two different oceans on both sides, like a, like a huge buffer zone. Uh, had an amazing amount of uh, blessing in terms of the region and the, 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 the kind of natural resources that this nation has. It's a breadbasket of the world. I mean, a phenomenal um, standard of living that many, many have. It's, it's, it's stunning in its consequence. I'm not here just to say I'm thankful, but I am. Having said that, it, I look sometimes at the news and I see what's going on in the world and I'm reading the papers and I, I try to be a student of what's happening in the world so that I'm not just living in, like a, in a vacuum entertaining myself to death. I, try to, I believe as a follower of the Lord, we have a responsibility to try to understand our world through the lenses of what Jesus taught us. And I see unrest everywhere, honestly. I, I, with, without trying to make too much of this, I, I look at, just, I was thinking about this this past month, all the things that have been going on. I thought about Iraq. I thought about Tibet. What's happening there? I, I thought about the rumblings in uh, Colombia and Venezuela. And I uh, thought about the African nations of Zimbabwe and what's been happening there and, and what has been, relatively speaking, up to this point, a peaceful place in Kenya. And you see that happening. You, you, we watch what's happening in Pakistan. We see missiles being tested out in North Korea. We see, uh, of course, the always Israel and the Palestinian issue. And just constantly the upheaval of the nations always before us and around us. You know, in, in, and, we, I, and then I, on top of that, you're hearing, if you're, if you're in the news, I mean, you get depressed listening to the news because, you know, global economy, uh, oil, you know, stock markets, you know, corrupt politicians. We've got, we've, in our own nation, you know, there's just things constantly being thrown at us. I mean, it's depressing at times. And it's trouble. And I understand why sometimes people, I hope we're all blessed. Right? I mean, I'm not trying to just, I want you all to be blessed. I'm not trying to be negative just to be negative. But I think that's real. I'll tell you what else I see happening. Senseless violence happening. I see people shooting people for no reason at all. Um, we see it in the own Bay Area. I see See, like, what's this, driving down a road, we've got people shooting, we've got unspeakable things done at the hands of other human beings, I don't get it. I, you know what sometimes I think? We see a sliver of what is actually done to people. And at this moment, there's so much unspeakable evil taking place from one human being to another, all over the world, and God sees it all. And I... I go, Lord, it, if it bothers me to hear one thing, how do you feel when you see it all? 
and there's just issues and issues and issues, and there's trouble at times, and it's hard. And then you take all of that, and then you come back and go, and what? I don't have enough in me to think and worry about everything else. I got enough stuff going on in my own life. I mean, I have my own finances to worry about, debts to pay, bills to pay. I got this issue coming up with my. I got a relationship thing going on. It's not working well. We got problems, and there are other areas on my job. I got enough stuff there, and then there's taxes, and I want to pay taxes, and I got that coming up, and I, and my health. You don't know about my. I've got the others of us are working through health issues. What I'm trying to say is we don't need to go everywhere. We can go just right in our own life. There's enough stuff that a lot of us are... And then that's not even talking about what's going on inside of us sometimes. Some of the stuff that we're working through, we hurts of, the hurts of life, the hurts of things that people we're working through to forgive people. We're angry. We got addictions that we're trying to get past. Stuff from our past is hanging on and creeping back in. Things that just stick with us. We want to get free of them. And I mean, You know what I'm saying. There's try, listen. Can we hear the Lord when he says, do not be overcome by trouble. Don't let the anxiety of this life overcome you. Look at me, my disciples, he says to him, to them, it's going to get bad. You know, when he talked about the troubled hearts, think about this. He looked at them, and they were already staggering under the weight. They were bewildered by it. I mean, the irony, of course, that was that their trouble was only beginning, Right? I mean, it was going to get worse, a whole lot worse. I mean, if from their standpoint, when Jesus says this to him, it's like, right, at that moment, it was just the darkening sky. He's just talking about things. It's the darkening sky. But soon, it was gonna, the storm was going to come, and it was going to be an overwhelming storm. I mean, Jesus knew. Think about what Jesus knew. He knew that in a few hours that he was going to be taken by his enemies, that they would come, led by the Judas, his own familiar friend, under the sway of the enemy and the evil one. And he knew that by the day was done, he was talking to them and he knew that by the next day, by the time that day was done, he would be dangling from a Roman gibbet, a Roman cross, like a, like a, like a piece of meat on a hook and he would be there marred beyond recognition, the Bible says. I mean, he was brutalized and he understood what was coming at him. He saw it. He saw that, 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 that what was going to happen. Remember, he was, it says that he was literally beaten and we forget that. And he was whipped, and there was a crown of thorns placed on his head. And from a physical standpoint, you couldn't even recognize him. And then his enemies came by, and they spit on him, and they mocked him. And he was hanging there between two It was horrifying, and he knew his disciples were not going to be. It wasn't just what happened and, and the sheer brutality of it. It was also the chaotic turn of events in rapid-fire sequence that was going to just leave them totally disoriented, and they were going to scatter like sheep having no shepherd. He knew that. He knew that it would happen in hours. He saw it all, that they would be overwhelmed, and yet he still told them, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You need to look at me. You need to believe me. It will. This God has a plan. This is going to pass. Trust me, even when it doesn't make sense. And that leads me to the second thing, which I'm saying. It sounds so simple, but we, the Lord wants to teach us how to trust him in difficult places, in times in our lives where things don't make sense. We don't understand the why. And how do we trust? What is trust? I mean, someone says, well, you got to trust God. Well, what does that mean? In my mind, I've always thought of trusting the Lord. It has to do with leaning into God. There's something about leaning into his word. There's something about putting that weight on the Lord, bringing him in close to me, drawing close to him. The Bible says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. There's something about it. Trusting, believe. believe. Think about what he was saying. He was saying, believe in God. Believe in me. Trust me. Even when it doesn't make sense. And Peter, listen, 
You trust me even when you fail. Trust me in, in your failure. I will get you through this. You trust me. You trust my word over your life. It's almost like he's saying, Peter, after you've done your worst, I will do my best. For some of us, we need to hear this. Our failure is not the final word. God has another plan. And, and sometimes the hardest thing to get past is forgiving ourselves. I'm not saying that's always the case, but sometimes one of the biggest struggles of all, and why we're so depressed and discouraged, is because at, at, at our core, we're afraid we can't do it. The Lord wants to teach us to trust him even through our own weakness. He wants to teach us to trust him, to grow with him, to let him work with our lives. That's the last thing I'll say, is at its core, the Christian life then is a hopeful and optimistic life. The life that Jesus offers is a beautiful life. You think about this and just, just think about it for a moment. Because as I sat with this, I was thinking, you know what? Why is this the case? And I am making the case there's no better way. Because love wins and life wins. That's why. And the final word is not a cross. The final word is a risen Savior in an empty tomb. And you know what that's about? This, this story is about? This is about a loving God. This is the story of a loving God who won't quit on us. This is the story of a loving God who won't quit on humanity and who won't quit on you and on me. Because God so loved that he gave. And he, it's about, and it's about loving, it's about learning, it's about growing, it's about becoming, it's about, it's about moving into what we were meant to be, what we were born to be, what we were born again to be. It's about a life that's getting better in terms of drawing near to God's plan for it. And I'm telling you, it's the best life, kind of life we can ever live, a life close to God. In the, in the song on the handout there, it's called Starting Over. And it's the song that we're closing with. And one of the things in this song that stands out to me, and it, by the way, it could have been Peter's song. I mean, this, this song could have been Peter on the other side of his failure. But one of the phrases says in the middle, look at that. It says, now hope has found me. I am not alone. Hope has found me. I'm not disowned. When I think it's over, I'm not alone. When you think it's over, you can start it over. You, your peace within my soul, mercy have, you have shown. Look, though trials come, you, you're calling me to climb. And I see this picture of the Lord calling us to climb, to grow. Between the now and the then, we have a life to live. May we live it well for God. May we grow. May we pursue it. May we be a climber. May we get past our own failures. May we get, may the Lord, may, Lord, would you give us the gift of a, of a heart that is open and give us the gift of faith. Lord, I hear when you said, believe in God, believe in me. And I pray that our faith would grow. There will always be reasons, Lord, why we can choose not to believe or choose to pull away or choose to give up, Lord, or choose to sit in our failure or choose to sit this one out or be, Lord, the, the sadness of becoming apathetic to a point where we don't really care anymore. 
Lord, the gift of God sometimes is in our failure because in our failure, in our brokenness, a lot of times it's there where we finally give up our pride and we're, we're willing to be open to the new thing you want to do, Lord. So in, a, in some unusual way, you take the weakness and the failure and, yeah, even the senseless turmoil and trial and you you turn it around and you bring good out of it because it softens our heart towards you and it breaks our pride because you said blessed are those who are humble you said that when you resist the proud but you give grace to the humble and if our failures and our brokenness can give us humility then it's a gift in its own way it becomes something you can use to continue to work in our lives and so i just pray that we would be open and we would be open to the things you want to do and give us the gift of hunger and faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be filled. And I ask that, Lord. Bless our time here. Bless our closing song. Bless these minutes we share. Bless our time of giving. I ask this that you be honored in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.